Welcome to Reaching Your Peak, an educational storytelling mini-series of the Elk Talk podcast. This is Corey Jacobson, and today I'm going to be sharing a story from one of my previous do-it-yourself public land elk hunts, and then breaking down a strategy or a tactic that was instrumental in the success of that hunt. Reaching Your Peak is brought to you by Peak Refuel. If you're looking for delicious freeze-dried meals that are made with 100% real ingredients, including premium USDA meats, you've probably already heard of Peak Refuel. Their meals have nearly twice as much protein as the competition, which is important for fueling your body in the backcountry. There's no fillers, no empty calories, just premium nutrition that truly meets the needs of elk hunters. And the taste is second to none. My personal favorites are their homestyle chicken and rice and the beef stroganoff, but they have a huge selection of other incredible meals like chicken alfredo, biscuits and gravy, chicken coconut curry, sweet pork and rice, mountain berry granola, and a whole lot more. If you want to taste the difference, visit peakrefuel.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 15% and get free shipping on your next order. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Reaching Your Peak. And uh, if you're listening right now, uh, as this comes out, archery elk seasons are open in pretty much all of the western states. So for those of you that are out hunting or going to be heading out chasing elk here soon, good luck. And be sure and tag us with the hashtag Elk Talk Podcast on Instagram with pictures from your hunts. And to kick things off and back by popular demand, uh, Randy is back joining me in another episode today. We had a lot of comments about Randy being able to draw a lot more details out of my storytelling. So he's back for more today. Thanks and, for having me, Corey. Yeah. Yeah. So you ready? I, I, I'm ready. I don't right. know of what value I am, but well, I'll try my best to give the play-by, or at least color. You're giving the play-by-play. I'm the color commentary guy. That's right. You're the one that interrupts me and be like, now hold on. What yeah. What state are you in again? We're, we're 30 minutes yeah. into this. You didn't even tell us what state you were in. And so mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of comments, both uh, email, on the YouTube, you know, everywhere everyone was saying we like both versions but we think we like randy being there a little more because it just feels like we're getting more more substance out of it so you're right. uh, you're voted in i'm i'm in the spotlight now you're in the spotlight all right well let's <laughs> so, let's hear the, let's hear the story Corey. yeah let's jump into another elk hunting story So this one took place in 2007. So uh, however long ago that mm. was, 16 years, something like that. Oh, yeah. And it was in Idaho. And it coincidentally was the first year that I hunted with Donnie Drake. So hmm. Donnie and I have been official elk hunting partners for 16 years now. And this was the, the first season we'd hunted together. The previous season, my area that I normally hunted caught on fire. And Donnie, I worked with him and he said, hey, I've got an area that I've hunted for a long time. I've never killed an elk there, but I, I get into elk all the time and I hear him bugling all the time. If you want to go there, you know, go try it out. So I went there and I killed an elk the first morning and oh. uh, kind of 
felt indebted to him. And so I said, well, next season, I'll, uh, you can come hunt with, with uh, my buddy David Burdett and me, and we'll see if we can get you an elk. And he just happened to pick, well, we happened to pick the uh, one of the worst elk seasons that I had in Idaho. Just 2007, we hunted our tails off for probably, I don't know, eight days, seven or eight days, and uh, had very few encounters, very little bugling. Uh, the elk just weren't in their normal spots and we were moving all over. We went from one side of the zone to the other and back and forth and we just weren't getting into much. Uh, so I think it was day eight. Donnie only had, uh, I think a week off from work and he said he had to get back to work. But I think uh, <laughs> what, what really happened was we were coming down a steep hillside and it was just a bunch of blowdowns and thick alders and, all of a sudden Donnie was behind me and I heard him kind of moan and yell. And, you know, I've, I've heard it several times since then, but that was my first time experiencing it. But he went uh, heels over tea kettles over a blow down, tangled up in some alders and ended up twisting his knee pretty good. And he still to this day blames that instant, you know, that very instance for his knee problems. Wow. He still relies on his knee problems to get out of, hunting and packing <laughs> packing elk. Yeah. yeah so so this is uh, definitely a, a memorable hunt for a lot of reasons but uh -huh. that uh that night he uh I, he had been saying he had to get back home the next day so he yeah. decided not to hunt the next day and to head back home and it was my last day to be able to hunt and uh so i decided i was going to go all the marbles in and go deep and so you, when I, you, you weren't like a lot of us who said, ah, you know what? It hasn't worked for the first six or seven days. There's no way it's going to work tomorrow. Let's just call it quits. Let's oh, I just, we had connected so many dots that were non-productive. I thought, okay, we aren't finding elk here. We aren't finding them here. There's this spot back in here that I've always wanted to hike into and never had. And it's several miles back in there. And that's where the elk are going to be. That's, I've just got to get back in there, get away from the people, away from the roads. It was hot. Uh, that year there were bears all over in town. The bears were coming down into town. It was just so dry. The huckleberries had all died and, and fell off the bushes. There was no water. And so there were bears literally. I mean, we were staying at Burdett's cabin, uh, out of town and he had Burdett, had bears walking through his yard at night and getting into garbage. We were bumping bears during the day. I mean, there were just bears everywhere. And so that was an indicator to me that, Hey, something's different this year. And yeah. I thought I've got to find some consistent water and someplace cool. And so I'd picked the spot and I told Burdett about it. And he said, uh, why don't you take your, uh, your walkie talkie with you and I'll take mine and I'll just, <laughs> I'll go up on the other side of the Canyon and I should be able to hear you bugling from back in there, which of course there's no way I was a good four or five miles from him, but that was his yeah. excuse of, Hey, we'll be able to, we'll be able to keep in touch throughout the day. So, uh, he dropped me off a little before daylight and I started climbing up the mountain and I climbed and climbed and I was not finding any sign at all. So I just kept going farther and farther. I knew it was my last day. So I wasn't able to turn around and just, you know, go back down and be like, Hey, let's drive to another spot for the afternoon. It was, I was all in on this, this hunt. And I hiked, uh, till probably 10 30 or 11 and sat down and had some lunch and I'd bugled and cow called the whole way. I wasn't seeing fresh rubs. I wasn't seeing tracks. There was nothing in there. All of the wallows that are usually in this marshy swampy area were completely dried up. 
and there was a main creek drainage down to my left. So hiking up this creek drainage, I got up after I'd ate lunch and hiked another hour or so. And it was probably, it was definitely afternoon, probably close to one o'clock and I bugled and across the canyon, across on the other side of the creek, a bull answered. And it's on the north face. There's a nice bench up there. So I was like, okay, the bull's bedded up there. He answered my first bugle when I popped out here on the point. So good chance I can slip in there and, and maybe have some, at least an encounter, which had been few and far between. So I dropped down, crossed the creek, and uh, happened to notice these little pools. You know, the creek was pretty dry, but there were still little pools in the creek. They were full of brook trout. Full of brook trout. So... I still haven't been back there to fish it in the fall, <laughs> which I, every time I tell the story, I think I've got to go back and fish that because, you know, it was, it was, the water was low enough. They couldn't go anywhere and they were just in these pools, just thick. And yeah. So anyway, they crossed so, the creek and yeah. To, to make it clear in my mind, where's Donnie when all of this is going on? He'd went back home. Oh, okay. He, so he, yeah, the night before he is when he twisted the his knee and yeah, okay. he said he just needed to get back and get stuff ready for work. I think, this was a Saturday, if I remember right, and he okay. headed back Saturday morning, had to be back at work Monday. Uh, I had to be back at work Monday also, but I, uh, I, I definitely wanted to go one more day of hunting. So <laughs> no, no sore knee excuse or work excuse or anything here. Oh. So Donnie went back, Burdett's uh, several miles away. And at this point, I'm probably seven miles from the, from the road back in. So I'm a long ways back in. You're crazy is what you are. Uh, it was last day. You know, the, the, we call them the last day death march. And uh, <laughs> I, so I climbed up this bull. I pinpointed him. He bugled a couple times, crossed the creek, climbed up. The thermals are going up the hill. So I had to go up canyon a ways, get up above him so I could side hill across and, and come into his bedding area there. And as I got in pretty close, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to be just around the ridge from me here. So I cow call and he answers and he's pretty much above me. He's off to the left a little bit as I'm facing up the hill, but not enough that I'm super comfortable because he could come around to my right and get above me and wind me. So I had to scramble up the hill to my right a little bit and I got up there and had a perfect shooting lane off to my left. I thought, okay, he's going to drop right around. There's a great big rock bluff above me, probably 40 feet tall. And he's going to drop right around that and come out on this little shelf. Everything's inside 40 yards. And so I give him a couple of cow calls to finish him off and I can hear him. You know, I can hear rocks up on the hill above me. And I think this rock bluff is going to be just the perfect barrier. It's going to keep my wind going right straight up it. And it's going to force him to have to come around it to see me. And so I've got an arrow on and I'm looking right there in my shooting lane. And all of a sudden, right straight above me on the rock bluff, I hear hooves. And I look up, and he is right up there, 40 feet straight above me, looking right down at me. And I can still see a really nice six point. All I can see is his neck and head as he's looking down there. And he didn't didn't read the script. So thermals are going up. He winded me. His eyes got about as big as a silver dollar, and he spun out of there and was gone. Didn't bugle anymore. So... It's, uh, I, I spent, you know, I probably spent another hour there trying to follow him to see if he'd lead me into another bugle and nothing. I didn't hear another bugle. His was the only tracks in there. There were some rubs on that bench, but I think he was the only elk 
in that area. So I'm looking back across the canyon, realizing uh, what what lies ahead, and it's a long hike out of there, and my elk season's over. And at this point, you know, it's 2007. I had shot my first elk uh, 11 years before that, so uh, I had a pretty good string of of uh, successful hunts for about 10 or 11 years there that the reality was was crashing down it's it's coming to an end here <laughs> you're going home without a filled tag and uh you get to call your wife on the way home and tell her hey maybe uh your great aunt who runs some cattle might have uh, a lead on half a beef or something we can put in the freezer <laughs> for the winter and it, uh you know those hikes out are always uh, very somber and a lot of mm-hmm. self-reflection and trying to figure out what we did wrong and beat ourselves up and come to come to grips with reality that no matter how desperate I was that morning no matter how much energy and you know faith I had that it was going to happen it just wasn't going to happen so I started the hike out dropped down the canyon had to climb back out of the canyon in the heat of the day and then uh, got up on the other side and hit the main ridge and started working my way out the main ridge. And I had gone through a bunch of alders and blowdowns and decided to strap my bow on my backpack. And so I strapped the bow Which on the I backpack. Which I always do. Yeah. I mean, that's, I didn't even have trekking poles back then. So you know, I'm going through rough country and no way I needed to have my bow in my hand and land on it or break it. And so I strapped it on the backpack and continued down the ridge and it was probably I was probably four miles from the truck and had probably an hour of daylight left and uh, I was bebopping along and all of a sudden there's a cow elk standing in the trail in front of me and so I just froze and I'm like oh my bow's on my back I'm not going to shoot a cow especially this far back in but you know I, I really wasn't even thinking I need to get my bow off my backpack. I know yeah. it's on my backpack, but I'm not even, you know, there's not a bull there. Hadn't heard a bull bugle or anything. And I cow called just to kind of settle her down. And a bull answered about 60 yards below me on the oh, hillside. Oh. Then, <laughs> at that point, I realized I got to get my bow off my back. Yeah. So I grabbed my bow off the, you know, dropped my backpack, grabbed the bow, knocked an arrow and walked over to the edge probably 10 yards and looked down over the hill and there's a five point bull standing down there looking back at the cow behind him doesn't even know you know he's not even looking up the hill at me and so I just guessed how far he was I I think I guessed him for 50 I drew back shot and uh, ended up hitting him back a little bit he was quartering away slightly and I hit him back even a little farther than I should have on a quartering away shot and I watched him run kind of side hill and then he turned down into some alders going down into the the main canyon there and so I grabbed my backpack hiked down the ridge there's a game trail there hiked down the ridge where I could overlook the creek down there and it also happened to be right about where the canyon broke out into the main canyon and so I pulled my radio out of my backpack and I turned it on I was like hey Burdette you have a copy and uh, he answered back he's like yeah and it was kind of broken you know like here you uh-huh. go. I'm, I'm like, hey, I, I can't understand what you're saying, but I just shot an elk. And he replied and said, copy, shot an elk. And uh, 
he must have climbed up on a ridge a little bit there and we got a little bit clearer of a shot and i said i just shot an elk uh, I hit it back a little bit. I'm going to go down and see if I can find blood on it, but I'm about four miles up the ridge. And he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, bring pack frames and water. So part I forgot was I had a lunch, but it was my leftover lunch from the day before. I'd grabbed the wrong baggie and put it in my backpack. So all I had was just, you know, mm -hmm. half a bag of trail mix and a couple pieces of jerky and a, a granola bar or something. I didn't have my full day's <laughs> pack of food with me. So I'd been out of food since I'd sat down at 11 or so that morning. And back in those days, I didn't carry a water bladder. I didn't carry much of anything other than a 16-ounce bottle of water from the gas station so I was out of food and water by by noon and so I said bring a pack frame and uh, bring some water and that was the last communication I had with him I just told him I told him I'm about four miles up here there's an opening there's a great big dead snag on the ridge I'll just meet you by that snag well as you can imagine four miles up yeah. into a canyon there's probably quite a few openings and quite a few snags and yeah so I dropped down the hill and I've got maybe 20 minutes of, of shooting light left and I go down and I find tracks and there's no blood, which is pretty common with a, a hit back like that. I did see that the arrow was still in him when he ran off. It was sticking out about eight inches or so. And uh, so I followed the tracks down the hill and I got right down to the creek and, you know, the creeks, there's a couple little trickles of water dropping down. So it wasn't making a lot of noise, but there was some some creek noise down there and as i'm walking along i glance down and the bull is standing in the creek up to his belly in water just standing there in that cool water in a in a deep hole oh. and he doesn't see me and doesn't know i'm there and i'm probably only 20 25 yards away from him so i grab another arrow put the arrow on and shoot and uh, hit him pretty good he's quartering away again but i got a, a lot better shot that second time and he jumped out of the creek and ran up the other side, up, started up the hill on the other side. And so at that point, I just backed out and thought, well, Burdette will be here in two hours and we can, you know, I don't want to bump him again. Just let him go up there and die and, and we'll go. So I climbed back up the hill to where we we're going to meet and I sat and I waited <laughs> and I waited and I waited. And finally, at about 11.30 p.m., I finally get Burdette on the radio again. And I'm thinking, he hasn't been answering this whole time. He's finally answering. That means he's still not close. And he's like, I swear, I've got to be four miles up here. And so I said, we'll put the radio down and hoot. And he hollered, and I didn't hear it. And I'm like, I don't hear you, so you aren't, you aren't even close. And probably another 45 minutes later, I finally hear him holler from down the canyon still. And another 20 or 30 minutes after that, he finally shows up. So we're at almost one o'clock in the morning. Oh, man. <laughs> He's got a pack frame, an extra pack frame, that it, brand new pack frame, I might add. I just bought a, a brand new, you know, one of the old, all it is is just a frame. It's just Yeah, a, external frame. Yeah. Yep, just a frame pack. And they, I bought it because they'd come out with new ones that had these great big padded shoulder straps and great big padded waist straps instead of the little chintzy ones that my old ones had had. And man, it was comfortable when I put it on. So he had grabbed that out of my truck. He had brought me a peanut butter and jam sandwich, thankfully, that had been smashed in the bottom of his backpack for most of the season, <laughs> I'm guessing. And uh, a single bottle of, of a 16 ounce bottle of water. 
So well, you wouldn't want to carry more weight than that up there. That's right. Four miles up there. That that's what you get for being four miles up there. Your buddy's only going to carry sixteen ounces. He ain't well, I was just ounces. I was fortunate that we had radios and that he heard me and I didn't have to hike out and then hike back in there. Although in the amount of time it took him to get up into there, I was thinking I probably could have hiked out and restocked <laughs> and then hiked back up the next morning. But we uh oh I forgot to mention there's a fire ban going on because of how hot and dry it is out mm. so our plan oh. was to just stay on the mountain for the night because it's you know plenty warm out it's september there's a fire ban it's hot and dry yeah. is this early september or late september? uh it's probably around the 20th or so okay. okay so it's getting getting a little later so he gets up there and he says so where have you got it you know skinned out hanging in the tree, ready to pack. I'm like, I haven't even found it yet. He's like, what? I'm like, well, my plan was to wait two hours for you to get here, not five. And then I just kept waiting, thinking he'll be here any minute. And now here we are. And I said, I think it's probably best at this point to to just wait till morning. He's like, no, we got to find it tonight. And So we went down and you could see where it came out of the creek. You know, there were some wet marks there in the dirt and uh, still no blood though. And we, we tried for about a half an hour. And of course we were both exhausted. And finally I said, we got to just, we just need to sleep and get up in the daylight. We can't see anything here. And our flashlights are going to run out of battery if we try this all night. So we decided to lay down. Well, Burdette had brought a space blanket. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever yeah. used a space blanket before. I have not used one. I've, I've got one, but I've not had to use it. Yeah. It's uh you know, the little, they're in the very cheap section of camping gear at Walmart, little green packaging. <laughs> I think back then they were 99 cents and uh, he had one. I have no idea why he had one. He had no idea why he had one, but it had been in his pack for several years. And we decided we're going to violate the fire ban and build us just a little fire just for some warmth because it was pretty chilly out. All I had was a long sleeve shirt and a vest. I didn't have a jacket of any kind. And uh, so we built just this tiny little fire and I'm huddled around it, literally like curled in the fetal position around this fire, trying to stay warm. I look over at Burdette and within about two minutes, he's on his back snoring, sleeping comfortably. <laughs> and this space blanket is draped over him. And the little bit of heat coming off of the fire is enough to put some heat waves or heat air underneath that thing and it's hovering right above him like it's literally hovering off of him and this heat is staying trapped underneath it and he's snoring he snored all night long laying on the cold hard ground i laid shivering all night long and didn't sleep <laughs> i couldn't wait for daylight the next morning as soon as it started getting daylight i woke him up i'm like come on let's go hmm. so we got up and we tracked the one and it only went another hundred yards from where we slept there they tried climbing up the hill and didn't have the energy and strength to do it and toppled over right there and so hmm. we uh we got it cut up and uh you know within an hour or so after daylight hour and a half after daylight we had the pack frames loaded and ready to go and i had my bow what little gear i had with me in my backpack uh, from the day before my bugle tube some stuff like that and then uh half an elk so we each took Whoa. half the elk and then i oh. didn't have a saw or anything to cut the cut the antlers off the head so i had the whole skull there so i found a rock <laughs> and i'm trying to you know smash what i could of the skull off of it so i didn't have to pack as much weight 
uh-huh. and uh, got it whittled down to the antlers and, and a little bit of skull plate there. <laughs> and Burdett put, so we had, I had a hind and a front uh, quarter and then a back strap, a tender. Well, we didn't take the tenderloins on that one. I had a back strap and then half the neck meat. And then Burdett had the same. And then I had the antlers and my bow and my backpack from the day before. So Burdett, you know, he had a heavy load too. And so he put on his pack frame and was sitting there and I went over and helped him stand up. And then he said, how are you going to get up when you get under yours? Like, I, I'm not going to be much help to you. I said, well, just help me lift the pack frame up onto this rock here and then steady it there and I'll slide into it, you know, already standing. And so it worked. I got into it in my nice cushy external pack frame with these great big hip belts and shoulder straps. And I tightened them all down and man, it felt comfortable sitting there on that rock. And I had a little swallow of water left in the bottle of water. And uh, I said, you go ahead and head down the trail and I'll be right behind you. And he said, I don't know if we want to go down in the creek bottom. It was a mess of tangles. And I'm like, well, we can mm-hmm. climb up the hill out of here onto the main ridge, but climbing up this hill is not going to be any fun. Yeah. And he said, well, I'll try, I'll try going down here, but if I can't make it, I'm going to climb up. And I said, I'll probably end up doing the same. So he took off down the trail and I swallowed the last swig of water and sat there and getting my mind made up that, all right, it's going to be a long pack out of here, but here we go. And I stood up and, you know, as you kind of do, you kind of shuffle the weight and pull on the straps and I tightened the shoulder straps up and did a little shake to get the weight balanced. Both shoulder straps snapped the buckles up where the, the metal buckles where they clamp onto the frame broke. Oh no. (laughs) And I'm looking at this going, this couldn't be any worse. I'm four miles from the truck I've got the heaviest load I've probably ever packed on my back. And now my pack frame, just the shoulder straps broke on it. Uh, so being an engineer, I thought, how can I, uh, how can I rig this up so it'll work? So I ended up uh-oh. tying the, the nylon straps that come off of the padded shoulder straps, tying them directly to the frame. So I have no, I have no adjustment at this point. They're tied, they're hard tied there. So I can't loosen the shoulder straps and take more weight on the hip and then tighten the shoulder straps there. I'm stuck with what they are and what they are is too tight. So everything was on my shoulders. So for four miles, I had no way of relieving this, the weight, the burden on my shoulders as I went down to the Creek bottom, realized it's full of alders climbed up the steep, hot, rocky, dry hillside on the other side, made it to the main ridge, and then fought blowdowns and alders up on the main ridge all the way back down to the truck. I got back to the truck at uh, around 4.30 that afternoon and probably started hiking at around 8 that morning. So eight and a half hours with half an elk with no adjustment on my shoulders. But no water. But... The lesson learned was, you know, there's definitely a lesson on testing gear before you, before you learn it. But the real lesson that I learned uh, came the night before. When it comes to elk hunting success, confidence is critical. And confidence in my gear and my equipment is something I'm just not willing to compromise. And that's why I shoot a prime bow. 
As a mechanical engineer, when I first saw the technology Prime was designing into their bows, I was intrigued. Cam lean had always been an issue on other bows I'd shot, which made tuning the bows and ultimately getting consistent arrow flight nearly impossible. But four shots into my first Prime bow, it was tuned and my arrows were flying perfectly. The draw cycle was smooth and the back wall was solid. And they didn't stop there. In the years since I've started shooting a Prime bow, They've added center shot technology, which allows the bow to lock on the target and keeps my pins from wandering around. They've also recently designed a new cam that completely eliminates cam lean that was previously caused by the offset cable design. Prime bows are continually leading the way when it comes to new technology and technology that makes a difference, not just some marketing gimmick that a marketing department can use to advertise a new model. There's no doubt that the stability of my Prime bow has improved my accuracy, extended my range, and increased my confidence. To learn more about Prime Stability, or to shoot one for yourself, visit your local bow shop, or go to g5prime.com. And now, back to reaching your peak. The lesson that I learned the night before as I was hiking down that trail was, you can't quit on a hunt. You can't quit yeah. even an hour early. I had made up my mind that this was, I was defeated. This was a, a failure of a hunt, an unsuccessful season. My bow was on my pack. I had already in my mind convinced myself that it was okay, that it's okay not to fill a tag. It's okay not to shoot an elk that, you know, I justified mm -hmm. all these things. We'd hunted hard, but I was done hunting. I mean, mentally I was done. Physically I was done. I was pointing back to the truck and going back and I still had an hour of daylight and I wasn't doing anything to take advantage of it. Yeah. But all it takes is, is one. All it takes is one elk in the right place at the right time. And that might come on the last hour of the last day of the hunt. So yeah. I learned a really valuable lesson then that you don't quit early. You don't stop until it's over. The last you give every bit of energy you have until it's over. And yeah. uh, it's come into, come into play I, several times since then. Yeah, I think that applies even if it's just a three-day hunt. I mean, you're absolutely a seven or eight-day hunt, you know, on that three-day hunt. It's like, yeah, I'm going to hike out of here. It's going to take me hour, hour and a half to get out of here. And you're, I don't care if it's rifle or archery mentally your mind is now okay tomorrow at work i got to this or i got to that or and i'll i think we've all had that oh no oh there's one <laughs> oh, oh and physically you're not prepared mentally you're not prepared you got to pull your mind back to the mental checklist you go through for a setup for getting a shot ready and usually you fumble yeah <laughs> yeah had that been a bull in the trail i'd have never got a shot at him you know, I yeah. just happened to cow call. I think the bull thought that I was the cow that he was with that cow called. He just bugled to say, I'm over here. And then the cow goes running down there and he looks at the cow and doesn't even think there's any anything going on there. And, you know, mm -hmm. you talk about how many times have we, you know, maybe had a missed opportunity that we, we recognized, that we experienced that opportunity, but missed it because we weren't ready. But how many times yeah. have we given in and given up early and went back to camp, you know, and said, let's just take down camp tonight instead of hunting tonight. Let's take it down tonight and hit the road. What do we miss out on that we don't even know about that night? You know, what 
that might've been our opportunity. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just so important. It's so easy to give in every day that passes. That's a struggle just chisels away your resolve that much more. And by day six or seven, it's really easy to say, you know what, nothing's happened. I haven't had encounters. I haven't seen an elk. I haven't heard a bugle. I'm just going to call it quit and go, you know, I'm done hunting. And I think instead of that, it's important to say, I haven't heard a bugle. I haven't seen an elk. I've got to really put my, my best effort into this last day, into this last evening hunt and get out of the rut. You know, don't hunt the same area that you've been going to and haven't seen tracks, go to somewhere new, go to some place. You know, I, we'd had very few encounters. And on this day I had two bulls. I had two encounters that, you know, one of them I should have killed and didn't. The other one uh, I did kill and it, I filled the tag and filled the freezer literally on the last hour of, of the last day I had to hunt. Yeah. But no, you say that and you've got that as a lesson that time and many other times but i think about myself after six or seven days of hunting i'm tired i've been eating crappy meals i haven't been getting much sleep mentally i'm i'm probably foggier than i was on day one yeah it doesn't take much to convince the human body you know, that, that that bed at home would really be nice a day early. You know, it'd be nice to just loaf around the house on Sunday before I got to go to work on Monday. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just putting myself in the realistic totally. place of where I've done that before. I have said, you know what, I'm wasting my time out here. And I don't know that I was wasting my time. But as long as my mind felt like I was wasting my time, I probably was wasting my time. Yeah. It's this mindset to get you back to what you're talking about. That's a mindset of, I've still got a day. I've eliminated all the places they aren't. This is where they're <laughs> probably at. I love the, uh, the quote from Babe Ruth. You know, I go back to that a lot when we're talking about the last day hunting and uh he was faced with you know i think it was a a full count two outs you know down by one and a runner on second base or something and he gets up there and he swings and hits the farthest home run he's ever hit or something and wins the game by a point and a reporter after the game said you had to be really uh feeling the heat there you know you got two strikes against you two outs uh, you know, things weren't looking good for you. He's like, are you kidding? He's like, things were in my favor more than anyone else's. I'd already missed twice. I wasn't going to miss the third one. <laughs> and I just, I think, you know, about that, that, you know, every day that passes that I don't kill an elk, the odds go up in my favor. Like the odds of me killing an elk continue to go up the longer I hunt. And if I throw in the towel and go home, the odds are, are zero. And like you said, though, it's a, it's a mental thing because you're sitting there thinking about all the negative things that have happened. You know, you're tired mentally, physically, you're beat up. It's really easy to go that direction and think about, you know, I can't even find an elk. Where am I going to go to find an elk? I might as well just go home. You know, I only have one day left to hunt. haven't had that encounter, but those are the days when you've got to, you've got to dig deep. And how many times have we quit early and went home, got a good night's sleep. And the next day woke up and thought, ah, I wish I was up on yeah. the mountain. hunting. <laughs> Even if yeah. I didn't get anything, I just, I wish I was up there, you know, doing something. And, and you said one more thing, I, I've got to bring up that point. You said you've spent a week eating terrible meals and sleeping mm-hmm. in uncomfortable circumstances. 
we have a promo code for peak refuel and there's no reason for you to be eating terrible meals on the mountain well no that was back in you're talking like 2007 <laughs> right i don't i i don't spare many i i don't yeah i'm 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 how would i say it i'm better fed yeah these days than i used to be oh it's but, we used to carry a can of pork and beans for dinner and you know get back to camp and warm it up on the fire and have a pop tart in the morning for breakfast and carry a snickers bar and who knows what a, yeah. a twinkie or something for lunch and yeah things have, have come have a long you, way have you improved your hydration situation since <laughs> i've improved then? a lot of situations since okay. then i yeah. uh you know people will say well i watched your alaska hunt and you're in alaska and spent the night out there without good clothing you know very similar clothing to what i had there in idaho but uh I, i'm much better prepared uh, for those chance encounters where i have to stay out overnight i wouldn't say that i uh, i'm pre you know i'm uh, survival mode every time I go out, but uh, I still don't have a space blanket. Um, I still don't know how those things work, but I know it worked that night for Burdette, but <laughs> I carry enough other things that I don't have to rely on a cheap piece of tinfoil to keep me warm at night. Uh, yeah. But my hydration system, I do. I, uh, I, I went to carrying a lot more water for a while, and then I went to an actual bladder hydration system and then just uh, last year i tried a new hydration system uh, from hard side hydration you can use an algene bottle or you know any kind of hard-sided bottle and then a lid attaches to it with a straw in that and then it's got a hose that comes up and so it's just like a bladder only you don't have to worry about puncturing the bladder um, it's a lot more versatile it's easier to fill with a water filter and so I carry uh, a lot of water now, probably yeah. three liters or two and a half to three liters of water a day and yeah. a filter that I can filter more water if I need it. Because that was, yeah, that, that was probably the turning point for me in going from being a minimalist water drinker to I've got to be prepared with water. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, when you go on a long, hard hunt, like you're talking about, and as you're talking about this backpack that you had that, that uh was brought up the hill uh you know all these you'll hear the comment very often well grandpa just hunted in his blue jeans and his flannel yep he did and he had success yeah but all these little pointers and pieces i think where people are okay i know that my layering system is going to perform better and if i have to i have an extra outer layer that if i have to sleep on the mountain that night i'm going to be a lot warmer than if i just you know did whatever my pack is this much more comfortable so i can carry you know i call it load carriage i can carry a little bit more and it doesn't even feel like it used to because my pack is arranged and in, in such a good pack, it puts the weight on my hips. It does all that stuff. Yep. So all these times when we kind of nerd out on gear, it's for me, anyhow, it's to keep my mind and my body performing better longer into the hunt. I'm not putting the wear and tear on my knees, on my back, on everything else to the degree my old gear used to. I mean, I I think if I was still hunting, when I first moved to Montana for the first three seasons, I used my Jansport book bag as my backpack. <laughs> that's all I could afford. That, that's what I had. So, you know, 
now I think about, boy, if I was still using that thing, my body, you know, it just, all these progressions of things, of gear, I don't want to think, I always get hesitant because I don't want people to think gear is a substitute for knowledge and experience. Yeah. But it is a way on these long grinding hunts, those little bits of comfort that maybe just help you sleep a little better. Okay, I brought a little bit thicker pad or i i you know better nutrition better food yeah right? yeah the, <laughs> you know better water hydration those are the things that will get you to hunt hard on day five and day six and day yep. seven it's it'll be less of a drain on your body which is less of a drain on your mind absolutely so, yeah, and Whatever you just like for. think back. You know, I I think about my grandpa, and he did. He hunted in jeans and a wool flannel, and you know, old old rifle with a I don't know four power fixed <laughs> scope on it, and you know, yeah. no calls, no GPS, no anything. And you know, he came back to a camper every night, so he had you know some. I had a bed and a place to dry out. Yeah. Um, you know, he had the means to to have good food there you know, at least stuff a sandwich in his pocket, you know, make a sandwich at night, stuff in his pocket and cook a dinner when he got back with some, you know, fried potatoes and elk steak. And so, I mean, they ate better. He had that luxury with us hunting the way we do a lot now, you know, we're carrying camp on our back that adds to the necessity of having better gear to be able to stay out there longer. And like you said, it's, there's no substitute for knowledge and experience. Um, but I think gear has improved our abilities to utilize our knowledge and experience and, and get more out of it. And I, it's funny, I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of a study right now that I'm doing on Idaho success rates because I just want to see if there's been a change in success rates. So I'm looking at every single hunt, every weapon since the year 1997, I think, or 1996 um, to current to see if there's been any kind of a change in success rates, because I don't think there has, I don't think Mm -hmm. success rates have changed. I mean, yeah, maybe one or 2%. um, They might go up 5% this year because it's a really good year for hunting, you know, whatever it is, but I don't think overall that we've changed the, the trajectory of success with the, the trajectory of technology and gear. And uh, so I, 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 I'm saying that I'm putting my hypothesis out there without uh, backing it up with any proof yet. But hopefully by the next episode, uh, we can talk about some of that and maybe talk about gear. But, um, you know, that pack frame, I hadn't tested it. And so that's that experience. You know, I always say, make sure you've tested your gear. Don't go out yeah. with a brand new sleeping bag and climb it. Like, it's a zero degree bag and it only weighs a pound and a half and it's going to, it's going to be light and it's going to keep me warm. And then you find out there's no way it's a pound and a half and it's a zero degree bag. You shiver all night when it's 45 <laughs> degrees out and uh, yes. you know, things like that, that'll ruin a hunt really quickly if you, if you can't sleep at night cause you're cold. And so test your yeah. gear before you use it. Um, and then, don't give up. And it's so easy to do mentally. You get beat up day after day. Elk hunting is about going from, you know, failure to failure without any loss of enthusiasm. And that, that sums up elk hunting perfectly because every day, every hour of every day, you're going to fail. You're going to fail to find tracks. You're going to fail to hear bugles. You're going to fail to set up in the right place. You're going to fail to make the shot. You're going to do all these things 
hoping for one success. You know, hundreds of failures are outweighed by one success. But when that success seems like it's out of reach, it's really easy to let those failures win. And it's important to remember that it just takes one. And that one opportunity, that one chance, that one shot might be completely unexpected. It might be a, a gift that's left for you there on a ridge trail as your head's hung low, hiking back on the last day of the season. It might With your be- your bow on your back. Exactly. It might be, a, you know, a, a hard worked uh, encounter with this elk where you set up and had to work him right down to the last minute of the last night of the hunt. You know, you don't know when it's going to come and yeah. it's, it comes in different ways at different times in different places. But the one thing that's certain, if you're not out there, you're not going to be successful. So stay out there, use every minute of, of every day, including the last minute of the last day. Good advice. No one's ever, no one's ever killed an elk sitting back at home watching the football game on the couch. Well, don't say no one has, because somebody will probably send us an email and be like, "Well, actually, <laughs> actually, it was it was uh, week two of yeah. the NFL season, and I went back to watch my favorite Minnesota Vikings play, and uh, just happened to be staying at my uncle's ranch in Montana, and I looked out at halftime, and there was a bull elk out there in the corner of the field, and." <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to call BS. If, if somebody emails us with that story, I'm going to be like, BS. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. There's an elk hunter that's a Minnesota Vikings fan? No way. Well, well right there would be enough <laughs> to disqualify everything. But, uh, no, I, I think, you know, with season underway by the time this publishes, that's a good reminder to people because by that time, you know, we have the big pulse of enthusiasm. Boy, we're going to go get them this year. I got it all figured out. And by day two, if you haven't heard a bugle, haven't had an encounter, it's easy to get discouraged. Yeah. I do think the experiences of, of life, wherever it is in your life, teaches you that if you stick with it, that's where success really comes from. And that's what separates the guys and gals who are that 10% who fill their tag every year are the ones who just, they're not affected by that. They're mentally pushing through that. And that's what separates that 10% from the other 90%. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And that's, don't think for a minute that we don't experience the exact same, you know, desires to go home and sleep in a bed and to, to give in. I think, you know, the difference is maybe we've experienced some of these things that happen and we're willing to to stick it out and stay till the end and the other thing is if you need a reset on day four or day five take it go into town and get a burger and a milkshake and take a nap at camp you know don't just grind and grind and grind and wear yourself into the ground for the full seven or eight days you know take a break in the middle take a take an afternoon off in the middle or you know middle of the day be like hey we're just going to go for a morning hunt and then we're going to drive into town and and get a burger and we're going to you know go splash yeah. our faces in the with some fresh water at a shower at a KOA or you know whatever it is don't think that you you have to just suffer the whole time but if uh, if it's a struggle find a way to break it up in the middle rather than giving up on the end yeah well, good stuff, Corey. I'm uh, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about my six days starting next week. I was like, all right, on day six, am I gonna am I gonna have what it takes to push through, or am I gonna fold the tent and say, ah, oh, heck with it, let's just go home? That's right. You know what you're gonna do already. Make up your mind right now. I am, no matter I, what, I'm not this, giving in. 
this is this has been a good reminder to that so awesome. not giving up <laughs> well folks thanks for joining us and uh, until next time we'll see you guys on the next ridge or mountaintop or wherever the elk are bugling mm-hmm.